The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Let's be seated. And it came to pass that in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And it came to pass that when they were there, her days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him up in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds watching and keeping the night watches over their flock. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by them and the brightness of God shone round about them and they feared with a great fear. And the angel said to them, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly army praising God and saying, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And Mary kept all these words, pondering them in her heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We might give them a a clap. Esther, your shepherd costume and shepherd voice is a little too convincing. Well done. Okay. Um, Look, this is a... It goes without saying that this is such a special solemnity. And as I was praying on the readings, a fair bit came to me here, and I I don't usually read out of my diary, but I'm going to do that today. Um, It's a few pages, but there's more pages, okay? So (laughs) bear with me. Today, the Christian faithful celebrates one of its most central mysteries, one of the two fountains of Christian celebration. It is one of our most joyous, anticipated, and solemn occasions, which is strange in a way. It's a birthday. It's just a birthday. Does anyone here have a birthday? Yes? I think all of us have a birthday because that's how you arrive on the planet. Everyone has one and everyone celebrates one, hopefully yearly, you know, when your day comes around. It is literally the most commonplace affair that there could be. There can't be anything more normal and uneventful and mundane. Who's had their birthday this year already? Hands up. Good. The few of you hanging out, you, we got saving up something big for you, hey? Um, who has had their birthday in December? Does anyone's birthday actually fall on the 25th of December? Because you have the sad duty of giving people gifts on your birthday. <laughs> um, so, and also, who celebrates your birthday? You do. But more importantly, perhaps, your loved ones do. They gather around you and they share in the love that you and they have together. Have you ever been to a restaurant 
and the waiter or waitress learns that it's your birthday and suddenly desserts are on the house or they bring another round of drinks or something very spontaneous. It wasn't planned, but they want to share in the joy of it. But generally, our birthday celebrations are quite modest and short-lived. A little festivity is good and proper. We invite and receive any blessings that are, that are there. And then we go back to life a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser as well. Oftentimes, we grow attached to our birth date and we pack as much meaning around it as we can. Think of your birth date. Think of the amount of people who've put their license plate as their birth plate or they've somehow put extra meaning around the day. I was born on the 22nd of October, 1991. It's the same day as Chantelle's birthday, actually, wherever she is. Can't see her, but I saw her before. There she is. Um, and it happens to be the birthday of one of my favorite artists, John Foreman. He's the lead singer of a band called Switchfoot. It's his birthday. It's also the feast of St. John Paul II, one of our popes of recent history. Um, and this year, I happened to give a talk in this church on that day on the sacraments. And then I went home to baptize my nephew the day after my birthday. All of this has added meaning to my birthday. Progressively, little things like barnacles, they kind of attach to the story that I have. Now, while birthdays are naturally given over to religious importance, I mean, we naturally give it a kind of religious pedigree, the church commemorates very few birthdays formally. Typically, a saint's feast day is not when they are born. Saints, we celebrate when they die. They're born to a different kind of life. But there are three birthdays in the church's calendar that the church is very, uh, put, puts a high premium on. One is obviously Jesus, the other is Mary, and the last is John the Baptist. You might think, why not Joseph? I don't know. I guess we don't know what it is and we never settled on a date. Uh, you might think, why not Peter or Paul or James or John or any of these other people close to the story of Jesus? No. The church says, Jesus and these two, by virtue of their proximity to him. Who is John the Baptist in and of himself? Who cares? In a way, in the sense of the gospel, who cares? It doesn't necessarily matter in the economy of the gospel. Who is Mary in and of herself? Forget salvation, forget the birth of Jesus, forget God's amazing grace. Who cares? In a sense. In a certain sense, they are only there by their proximity to Jesus. Therefore, there must be something very, very special about this birthday. It's unique. It's different. And the whole world stops to take note. Who is this guy? What is so great about his birth? Also, what's the apparent milestone that we are pulling out all the stops to, um, to Ghana? You know, for my 31st, I think I had an apple cider with my dad and a little piece of cake with my family, and, and that was about it. For my 30th, I probably had a scotch and a nice dinner with my folks a few days after the fact, because it wasn't on my day off or on a weekend. So I was here working joyfully. Um, I remember my 22nd birthday, before I went to the seminary, I ran a fundraiser for a group called Charity Water. You may have heard of them, but they create these wells in places that don't have access to clean water. They've got very, very preventable diseases, but people are just dying in droves. So this organization um, sets up water, water uh, reservoirs and things for them. 
um, to live. And on my 22nd birthday, everyone didn't give me a gift, but they gave me $22, and we raised a couple thousand dollars, and hopefully people are now um, alive because of that, that little event we had. I don't remember my 21st, um, not for the reason you're probably thinking, even though I've mentioned alcohol already three times now. Um, but, I, but I do remember my 18th. I won't say why, because I've already spoken up about that stuff. Um, these were good memories. They were good. The celebration was proper. But they passed. What is the apparent milestone of Jesus' birthday that we're celebrating now? What are we commemorating? This isn't Jesus' 18th or 21st or 50th or 200th or even, in a sense, his 2022nd. It's his birth, full stop. It's the fact that he started to exist here. It's the fact that he arrived at all in the first place. This is even more mundane. All of us arrive this way, isn't it? Just think about this. All of us come into the world. If you're a human being, you have to be born. That's the point. That's the point. Who is, in the end, this person we know as Jesus? What is he, more to the fact? As you know, some of you know, I've just come from the Holy Land. We spent uh, about 18 days over there with Bishop Michael and a bunch of parishioners from around the place. And we were in Israel and Palestine. We climbed Mount Tabor and we saw where Jesus, that baby, wherever he now is, I think. Was it a prop or a real baby? It was a prop, wasn't it? That baby was transfigured. The divinity of Christ shone through his very person to the shock and horror of his disciples. We went to Jerusalem and we saw where the temple was and thousands of people praying outside the ruins of the Western Wall because the temple, of course, is destroyed. We walked the way of the cross, the very steps that Jesus walked as he carried that awkward, awkward thing on his back where he would finally give his life. We touched the very place where he was crucified. We celebrated Mass in the very, on the very stone where the dead Jesus was wrapped, almost as he was at his birth in swaddling cloth. He was wrapped and laid there for three days. We were in that tiny room, no bigger than two of these pews, the room itself. So we had to really squash in there. Um, I sent a photo. We were on the Lake of Galilee. We had Mass on the lake itself in a boat. Um, all of us were there. We went out to see... And, and we had Mass there. And while we were celebrating Mass, these two people came past on their paddle boards. And I took a photo and I sent it to my family. I said, these people are paddle boarding on the Galilee. And she said, are you sure they're not walking on the water? She didn't miss a beat. Um, we went to Kafanahum or Capernaum, where Jesus performed so many of his miracles. Nazareth, where, where the Annunciation took place, where the angel said to Mary, this is all going to happen. Um, and Joseph was there too. And of course, finally, as we get to today's Gospel, we were in Bethlehem as well, and we touched the place where Christ was born. In fact, it's in that, in that place in Bethlehem that I picked up this icon of the nativity. Icons are so beautiful. They're not a normal part of our Roman Catholic piety, but for those with a broader experience of church, for example, our Eastern churches or Orthodox or um, Russian or, or this is Byzantine, um, the icon we say is something that you write. You don't paint an icon because it's not a picture you look at. You read it. You read all the little, uh, very, very subtle 
telltale signs that are left there. And there's many if you have a glance. So this icon was written uh, by a beautiful Christian family in Bethlehem. And, and I picked up this and a few others, which I'll pull out later in the later next year. I'll just keep it here. If you'd like to have a look at it at some point before you leave. So who is this Jesus? If anyone knows him, you'd hope it was the Christians who hung on his word and clung to him with such ferocity since the earliest of times. The Holy Land is a densely religious place. It's not like Australia, which is far more multicultural, far more religiously fluid. I'm not going to say it's not religious, because it is. We all have our spirituality, we all have our faith and our way of expressing that. But it's not like the Holy Land. That's, that's a densely tactile, Abrahamic place in its faith. The Abrahamic faiths, of course, are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Now, I didn't meet too many Jews in the land. I saw them, but, but they seemed to sort of keep to themselves a little bit. But I met many Muslims, happy, eager to serve. They showed tremendous hospitality. As Palestinians, if you're aware of the struggles there, they have many, many struggles for their very welfare. Of course, even more so are the Christian Palestinians. They're a crushed people. It's a, it's a very difficult life for them over there. And it was difficult to, to watch. They make up, the Christians, make up about 1% of the population in Bethlehem. Now look, this is where my notes got scribbled out because what I was writing was a bit edgy. And I thought, no, I can't say this. It's going to give the wrong impression. But, but what is it that I want to say? And I realize I'm talking a bit much now. The kids, the alarm bell of the kids is going off. Um, I've said here, as I was writing this, I became a little anxious because there is an inescapably political dimension to all of this. There is, it's sad, but it's political. Um, and it's oddly competitive. You know, the way different cultures and different people are trying to claim different things for different reasons, always with a kind of divine stamp on it. To be clear, the very last thing I want to do is to sow any kind of division. We heard in our readings, Jesus has come for all. For all. His grace is sufficient for every single soul uh, and more. The very last thing I want to do is to create division or rouse fear or evoke a sense of entitlement on our part or on anyone's part. But I think of Bethlehem and I think of Jerusalem. You know, the word Jerusalem, it means house of peace or, or, or kingdom of peace or, or even vision of peace, one translation has it. Salem. All the Jews, when they greet each other, they say shalom, shalom. We'd be familiar with that word, peace. The Arabs or the Muslims, those who speak Arabic, they say salam, peace. Peace is the one thing that they're wishing each other. And for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to have taken root in that very beautiful but very torn land. What I want to say, and the reason I've given all this strange context, is we're doing something that could be considered very mundane. It's a birthday. In a sense, who cares? We all have them. But it receives all its significance, and, and really an unimaginable amount of significance, when we start to think, well, who is this person? Is he? Think of Jesus with his disciples. He says, who do the people say I am? Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a wise teacher. Some say you work miracles. These same philosophies are floating around in our modern culture. It's not an ancient thing to dismiss Jesus, to put him by the wayside. Think of, think of the ways that people sort of muddy the water of who Jesus is. 
Oh, yeah, sure, you know, he was divine, but we've all got a divine spark in us. We're all spiritual. We're all eternal. That's not the gospel. As true as it might be in some vague sense, who do you say he is? This is very, very important. And it strikes me as quite dire that if the 1% whittles down and whittles down and whittles down, who's going to tell the Christian story in Bethlehem itself, in Jerusalem itself, in Calliope and Tanum and Gladstone and Agnes itself? I want to invite you, please, to close your eyes. Close your eyes for a second, and I'm going to invite you to do something, and it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit random, really. Um, but, but what I want you to do is to make a kind of declaration by standing. Now, the reason this isn't so strange is because we're going to stand anyway. We always stand at this point to pray the creed and to read the prayers of the faithful, your prayers coming out of your hearts that the Spirit stirred up. But for a second, I just want you to think, just as Jesus addressed his disciples, he's addressing each of us. Who do you say that I am? Who is this character? Is he just some strange... Uh, enigmatic figure from history who clearly made a, a kind of cosmic splash and, and then he's gone. Is he a prophet? As many say, many in that land. Yes, he's a prophet. Is he a kind of, um, a kind of living parable? You know, he's, he's not really a real person. He's just, he's just a story. Who is he? In a moment, we're going to pray the creed where we declare with concise precision. I believe in X, Y, Z, A, B, C, all the statements of our creed. If you do believe, if you do have the, the ability to make a conviction, I believe this is God, the God who came to us in humanity, who was born into the world. Yeah, I can stand with that belief stamped on my chest. If that's you, I'd invite you to stand. And when you stand, I'd invite you to stay standing until we all sit together because we're going to pray the creed and we're going to read the prayers of the faithful. And hopefully most of our eyes are shut. In fact, if I could have planned it, I would have had a blind person read the prayers in Braille or something. But we didn't organize that, okay? But disorganized today. But when you're ready, if you're ready, before we make our profession of faith, I'd invite you to make a stand. <laughs>